0: Welcome to the Oceans Church podcast. We pray that as you join us for this message, you are blessed, encouraged, and empowered to bring the kingdom of heaven into your spheres of life. Come on, so good. Hey, my name is Shafin. If you don't know me, and my wife, along, uh, with my, myself, along with my wife, um, we're the senior pastors of the church here. And Jess is actually in Perth right now for the ACC Women's State Conference. Um, up there. And so we had a few people from Albany and 20 people from Oceans Perth heading down to the conference. So I reckon next year for the Women's Conference, we can get a, a good crew up to Perth, um, which is great. And Jess was able to host on the day. She did a great job. And Ash, our campus pastor in Perth, got to lead worship throughout the day as well. And so it was such a great day. Um, something else to celebrate this morning is we have Randy Haminga, Pastor Randy back in the house. Uh, Where's Randy? Give us a wave. Yeah, she's here. Um, And so she went away on leave. Randy and I had a bit of a chat the other day and we realized we haven't seen each other for like seven weeks because I went away for four weeks. She went away for about three and uh, and so it's really good to to be here together. And it's so good to have you all here this morning as well. So we are in the second week of a three-part series called The Holy Bible. And so last week we had the look We had a look at the fact that if you want to grow in maturity, you need to become a self-feeder. And it's true for little kids. We know that one of the signs of maturity for kids growing up is that they begin feeding themselves. And all the parents said, thank you, God. Amen. That's the truth with natural food, but it's the same truth with spiritual food. And for us, the most spiritual food, the most spiritually nourishing food that we can have that nourishes our souls, that nourishes our spirit, as much as there's great material out there and um, fantastic authors and, and other people around the world, the most nourishing thing for our souls and our spirit is the Word of God. That is what nourishes our food. And so a sign of maturity of a believer is that we become self-feeders. We're able to begin to feed ourselves. See, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. If you want to build faith in your life, you've got to get good at feeding yourself with the Word of God. If you want to grow in faith, God help my faith. God's like, here, here's the Bible. Get into it. Feed your faith and it will grow as you get into the Word of God. Whether you hear it being preached or you read it yourself, it's the Word of Christ that is our spiritual food. Jesus called his own words. He says, my words are the bread of life. If you want some good, who loves home-cooked bread? beautiful home-cooked bread with melted butter on the top. Amen. Even better than that is the bread of life, the words that Jesus speaks to us. And so um, this series is called the Holy Bible, because holy just means different, set apart, nothing like it. And Bible just means book. And so there is nothing like the Holy Bible. There's no book ever that has been written. There's no book to be written like the Holy Bible. We said last week, and I want to encourage you as a bit of a forerunner to this week to have a look at last week's message. Um, but the Bible was written by many people, over 40 different, over 40 authors from all kinds of, 40 writers from all kinds of different backgrounds. But there was one author who inspired all of these writers to write the Bible. And so God reveals himself to us through the Bible. If you want to know God, How do I see God? God's revealed himself through creation, through Jesus, and through the Bible. If you want to know God, read. If you want to know the living word, which is Jesus, read the written word. And so last week, we encouraged you to do three things. We encourage you to love the word, to cultivate an appetite, just like you can cultivate an appetite for certain foods, cultivate in your life intentionally an appetite and a hunger for this spiritual word, which is the word of God. We encourage you to learn the word of God, See, the more you learn it, the more you're going to love it. And so, learn the word, and there are three ways we encourage you to learn the word. We use the analogy of dipping a tea bag in water. You know how you get a tea bag and you dip it in water? If you just do one dip, it sort of isn't quite tea yet, but you do multiple dips, and it really takes on the aroma and the flavors that are in the tea bag. In the same way, we want the, to take the word of God and dip it into our lives multiple times so we can begin to reflect the the nature and the image and the character and the aroma of Jesus in our own life. And so the first step was really simple, is to get a study Bible. We encourage people to do. So a study Bible enables you to not only have the Bible, but then there are are phenomenally gifted and smarter people than me that know all the historical context and they know Greek and Hebrew. They have done the hard legwork for us help us to understand the literary style of that particular book in the Bible so we can find out and discover how to actually apply it to our lives. So dip one was to get a study Bible, dip two is to actually read it, (laughs) amen, and if you're like me, you need a plan, in fact we all need a plan, what's the saying, if you you don't have a plan, you plan to fail, if if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Um, And so we're we're helping you. We've got this Bible reading plan on your seat right now. You can reach out for it. So we've got a paper copy. Um, This is our Bible reading plan. um, And this is a fantastic Bible reading plan we are going through as a church. Do not attempt to catch up if you miss a day. Just read that day's writing. Can I encourage you? This isn't a law. This isn't another to-do list that you feel guilty about not achieving. This is just, if you can get to the Bible, it's quicker to be done very soon. It's also got some basic instructions on how to spend time with God. So this is a plan. If you've got other Bible reading plans, can I encourage you? Get into it, but put this first. If you're part of this church, this is what God is speaking to us as a church. I want to encourage you to do that. You can find it online as well. I use the PDF version um, myself and they days in their fridge. And number three, get into a group. Um, to, to dip, to dip in the Word of God, get into a group. That means be part of Multiplier or Dinner Party. Just on Thursday night, we went to Keely and Ash's place for a dinner party they hosted, um, which is fantastic. Yeah, give them a round of applause. So good. They were brave. It's their first time. They're like, oh no, how's this going to work? And, um, and they loved it. They told me at least. <laughs> and um, But we had a great time. You know, because not only are we reading about the Word, but together we're wrestling with the Word. We're, we're talking about Sunday's message and going, how does this apply to our actual life? We're able to challenge and encourage each other, share testimonies. That, that dip really helps you to take on the aroma of Christ. It is so worth prioritizing doing it uh, in community. So I love the Word, learn the Word, and then most importantly is to live the Word, there's no point in hearing about it. There's no point in reading all the instructions on the sunscreen. The real difference comes when you actually apply the sunscreen. It saves you from being sunburned. And so the real difference of the Word of God isn't how much you know, but how much you live it out in your life, how much you obey it, put it into practice, and it works. And so it is fantastic. So that's what we had a look at last week as a bit of a summary. And now this morning, okay, this morning we are going to have a bit of information overload. So can I encourage you to take out your notes, take photos of the screens, do whatever you need to do, um, because we're going to get really practical. And so the reason I'm behind this morning, what I want to do this morning is to give you confidence in reading the Bible. So the devil has tried to undermine people's confidence in the Word of God. Oh, it's just another book. It's just a a book of myths and fables. Some of it's true, some of it's not. Some of it's made up stories. There's great principles in it. Even some more maybe liberal pastors believe. They're going, yeah, the Word of God God is great, but yeah, some of the stories aren't really true because really, is it really that possible for Jonah to be stuck in a fish for three days? You know, of course it's a myth. But can I just highlight one thing? And that is to say, well, I agree. It is impossible. Humanly possible, it's impossible. But our faith is built on things that are impossible what's right now is completely is impossible is the fact that you are even here it is impossible for nothing (laughs) for everything to come out of nothing but you know what we believe God spoke God created the world into existence that is impossible Jesus rose from the dead That is impossible. There's Jesus who was born of a virgin. That was impossible. Our whole faith rests on impossibilities because we don't put our faith in what is humanly possible. We put our faith in a God who is a God of the impossible. And Psalm 33 verse 4 says, the word of the Lord is right. It is right and true. But then the skeptic or maybe the person that's still on a discovery journey will go, well, that's good. The Bible says that about itself. (laughs) Um, of course the Bible will say that about itself. Um, does that mean that I just need to take a blind leap of faith and just believe it because I just have to believe it? Well, no, the good news is you don't. I mean, on one hand, we well, you have to take the inevitable step of faith, right? There, there comes a point, no matter how much you know and how much evidence you have, you still got to take a step of faith because it's about a relationship with Jesus, But you can take a step of faith based on good evidence. And so, this is where I want to get to with the Bible to give us good evidence about why the Bible can be trusted. So, I've got seven convicting truths or proofs of how we can rely on the Bible. Um, But before we get into that, what I want to have a look at is something called textual criticism. Textual criticism. What I want to do is have a look at the reliability of the Bible, that we, the authenticity and the reliability of the Bible that we have as it is today. See, one thing that the devil has used to undermine our trust in the Bible is to say, well, it's a bit like Chinese whispers. You know, it started off all right, but then, you know, there's a copy of 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 a copy. And over time, it gets diluted and destroyed. And now we have a very poor copy of actually what was originally written. But textual criticism is, uh, is actually a science that is used for all ancient texts to try to delineate how authentic what we have today is an accurate copy of the original manuscripts or the original text. And so what we have here is, it, it, is it, it, textual criticism examines the number of copies that we have that are available to us today and it looks at the time gap between when the original document was written and the earliest copies we have of that original document. And then how many copies we have of those original documents. And so, so first of all, you can see it on the screen. If you compare the Bible to other texts in ancient history, ones that are widely used in schools today and in universities today that people rely on, we can compare and see how reliable the Bible is. <clears throat> for example, excuse me, I may need my water. Um, is it possible for you to grab a water? And... Thank you so much. Every time. Give it up for Nick. Thank you. Awesome. (laughs) That was very well done. And so first of all, we have the Greek historians, Herodotus and Thucydides, I think is how you say it. So that was written in the 5th century BC, the first copy. And the earliest copy we have of this is in AD 900, 1,300 years later. And we only have eight copies of this. And then you go down to Roman historians and... Roman historian Tacitus. And there's a thousand year gap between his book being written and our earliest copies of this. And we only have 20 copies of this. Then you've got Caesar's Gallic War. There were 950 years between the original and then the earliest copy. And again, we have nine to 10 copies. Livy's Roman history, there's a nine, 900 year gap with 20 copies. But get this, the New Testament is completely different. The New Testament was written... Multiple letters were written between forty and one hundred A.D. and our earliest manuscripts are between one hundred thirty A.D. and three hundred fifty A.D., depending on what uh, book of the Bible that you've got in the New Testament there. And there is a one hundred and seventy-year to four hundred and fifty-year gap between the earliest, between when it was written and the earliest copies we have of it. But get how many copies we have? It is crazy. Altogether, twenty-four thousand six hundred copies. 5300 Greek manuscripts 10000 Latin translations and 9300 others and when you compare them to all to each other the bible is unbelievably accurate there are no chinese whispers we have basically exactly the same copy of the original text and so we can be confident in the authenticity and the reliability of the scriptures that we have today and that is good news that is great news you can be confident that what we're writing is what Paul wrote to the church in the, New, in the New Testament. There's all kinds of other evidence you can have a look at for that. But what I want to get into now is seven convincing proofs that the Bible can be relied, relied on. This is drawing from sources from Chris Hodges, Nikki Gumbel, Rick Warren, and a few other sources as well. And so the first convincing proof is that the Holy Bible is historically accurate, it is historically accurate. So historians use three standards to prove if an ancient text is historically accurate. They use these three measures. First of all, they want to find out, are there eyewitness accounts? The good news is, the Bible is full of eyewitness accounts. Read the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John of the New Testament, they're eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Number two, they were recorded and copied with extreme care. In other words, again, there's no Chinese whispers. And this is why God chose the Jewish people, in part, possibly. Because the Jewish people were the most meticulous scribes in the world, in terms of copying ancient texts. See, what they would do is, they wouldn't just copy sentence by sentence, or even word by word, they copied letter by letter. Think about the Torah, which is the first five books of the law, when they were copying the Torah, they would go letter by letter. And what they'd do, to, just to make sure that they didn't miss anything, to make sure that it was completely accurate, they didn't add anything in there or take anything out, they wouldn't go and count the number of words. They, they, they knew what letter was, the middle letter in the Torah, and they'd count how many letters to the end of the book and how many letters back to the front of the book. And if the numbers didn't match, they'd throw away the whole thing and start again. They were meticulous when it came to copying. To copying, and then number three, archaeological, archaeological confirmation in terms of confirming the historical veracity of a book. And so, when you read the Bible and go through the Old Testament, archaeological digs have revealed all of the all of the nations and all of the cultures that are revealed, that are spoken about in the Bible. There are archaeological digs that confirm. Uh, that the Canaanites were resistance. Um, in the 1900s, they discovered the Hittites. Apparently, that was one of the last civilizations that they haven't discovered yet. And they thought, oh, well, maybe the Bible is false. But then in the early 1900s, they discovered the Hittites, which is fantastic. Um, and so we can be sure that the Bible is historically accurate. Number two, the Holy Bible is scientifically accurate. Now, this is a bit of a fun one. It is scientifically accurate. Now, have you heard of this saying? Trust the science. You just need to trust the science. Does that, does that get a few people, you know? <clears throat> just trust the science. But we know that science changes over time. Um, as, as, as advanced as we think we are, we're still learning about God's creation. And all you have to do is cast your mind back 50 years or 20 years or 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, about what the scientists were sure was the truth back then, um, and science evolves and changes over our lifetime. And so get this, you would think, going back over a period of 1600 years, reading the Old Testament, that you come across a few things mentioned in Scripture that you're like, that's not true. That's not science. There's not one. There's not one mention in Scripture that actually contradicts the science of today. It is scientifically accurate. And I want to give you just some um, Examples here. First before that, Psalm 148, verse 5 to 6. says, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever, and his decree will never be revoked. And so, for example, the belief previously was that the world was flat, right? That was a belief for many, many years. Um, others began to theorize it was brown, people like Copernicus. But then in 1492, Christopher Columbus, Voyage, proved to the satisfaction of many that the earth is in fact round, it's a sphere, it's a globe. But get this, 2,600 years before he went on his trip, Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 verse 22, that God sits above the circle of the earth. So he could have saved a whole lot of money and time and effort. He could have gone back to Isaiah. Oh, there you go, it is round. Okay, the word of the God Word of God stands true. The myth also was that the world had to be held up by something. Otherwise, how it can't just float there on nothing. And so the Greeks believed that Atlas held the world on his shoulder. I stayed at a hotel in Perth, actually, recently next door to a place that used to have a picture of Atlas holding up the, um, holding up the globe. The Hindus apparently believe that the earth is held up on the back of an elephant that sits on the back of a sea turtle that sits on the back of a serpent. I feel sorry for the serpent underneath. There'll be a few, few back issues, maybe. See the chiropractor? Um, the Egyptians, who had brilliant minds and built the pyramids, they believed that the earth was held up by five pillars. Great scientific minds. I think that's maybe a bit more stable than maybe on the back of a snake, on top of a, on top of her. Um, but if you go to the book of Job, which is actually chronologically it's the oldest book in the bible sits somewhere in about genesis chapter 10 if you're looking for a timeline there but job says this job 26 verse 7 he says god spreads out the northern skies over empty space he suspends the earth over nothing god suspends the earth over nothing god holds the universe within his hands just ask job so how did job know well because god was the author job was just the writer it was also believed that the number of stars could be counted. And so in 150 BC, Hipparchus apparently counted the stars and he found that there were 1022 stars in the sky. That was it that's what that, that was the science people. And that was science for 250 years until breakthrough Ptolemy had a breakthrough and he found an additional four stars. He counted. (laughs) But then thirteen hundred years later, Galileo Galileo he invented the first crude telescope and he saw millions and millions of uncounted stars. And today, I looked it up and googled it yesterday, there are two hundred billion trillion stars. You cannot count the number of stars. But it would have saved Hipparchus, all these guys a lot of time counting the stars. I think he must have been just so annoyed at his mum, maybe, if he's in heaven he'd be like, mum, why didn't you tell me? Jeremiah 33 verse 22, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. So the Word of God stands true. It it is scientifically accurate. This is another um, tragic one. Um, There used to be a belief that too much blood can make you sick. So there's a scientific practice called humoralism, um, and they believed that infections and sickness came from four body fluids that you'd have to get rid of. Yellow bile, yellow bile, black bile, and that sounds like yucky, I'm like, yeah, get rid of that. Um, phlegm, yeah, that's like deadly, get rid of that, pray that one out, and blood. And so George Washington, the first president of the United States, he got really sick, and his doctors, this is only 200 years ago, I read it the other day, they four times they drained blood out of him, over 40% of his blood came out and he passed away, based on this science that we have. But we know that Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, the life of the body, body is in the blood. It would have saved his life if he had known about that verse. And this is why we don't get rid of blood, but we want more blood, we have transfusions and everything. And so Psalm 120. Psalm 12 verse 6 says the words of the Lord are flawless. They are like silver, purified in a crucible, like gold, refined seven times. You can rely on the Bible. And by the way, if you want, just really quickly, if you want some apologetic, I'm not apologizing, Um, I will if I do something wrong, but apologetics is a way for us to understand um, evidence for our faith. And if you want some apologetic um, information, you can find it on creation.com. Answers in genesis.org and calm.org are three great websites, C A R M, which is great. So, number one, the Holy Bible is historically, scientifically accurate. Number three, the, Bible, the Holy Bible is prophetically accurate. Now, this is a good one. See, this book was written again over 1600 years, and there were just over 1,000 prophecies throughout the Bible. That's a foretelling about the future, over 1,000 of them. Now, if you got one of those prophecies wrong, then, or a couple of them wrong, then you can cancel out the Bible. All right, this Bible is just, it's just made up. Hey, I'm going to prophesy this, but then I'm going to make it happen. But so many of the prophecies actually came into fulfillment years and years after they were prophesied. So there were over 1,000 prophecies in Scripture, 300 prophecies about Jesus alone, Not just prophecies like, oh, he's going to be a good guy, he's going to be cool, he's going to have hair, a prophesier, but specific prophecies, like he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, like he would grow up in Nazareth, and like he was going to be born in Bethlehem. You know, the skeptics would say, oh, well, some guy just went out and tried to fulfill all the prophecies to prove he was Jesus, but... Actually, when you're trying to get through the prophecies and you realise that you weren't born in Bethlehem, you're like, Mom. <laughs> and so there's so many prophecies about Jesus that he, there's no way he can make happen. For example, the spear in his side was prophesied about. See, King David prophesied about crucifixion before crucif- thousands of years before crucifixion were even a thing that the Romans invented. And so one of them was that Jesus would, be, <clears throat> would be, have a spear put through his side. And I don't think Jesus would be like, hey, to fulfill a prophecy, can you just get that spear down there? And you know, and so every prophecy has absolutely come true. You can do research, uh, more research on your own. The only ones that haven't come true are the ones that are yet to be fulfilled in the future. And a lot of a lot of these we can find in Revelation, and we want to be on the right side of those prophecies. And one of the prophecies about Revelation is that is that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus will come and he will return one day to judge the living and the dead. And the good news is this. This is the reason we celebrate every Sunday is Jesus has made us right with God by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead so that if anyone puts their faith in God's provision for us, that is Jesus, on that day, if we put our faith in Jesus, we'll go and be with him forever. We want to be on the right side of that prophecy And I'm going to give us an opportunity at the end of the service, at the end of the message, to make sure that you're right with God, that you can put your faith in Jesus because God loves you so much. In fact, the reason why he even writes down his prophecies is because he wants us to know about it so we can prepare for it in advance, which is why partly we come to church to be together. So the Bible is prophetically accurate. In fact, there was a, a doctor called Peter Stoner, and he, he drew together a team of about 100 other researchers, and they were really skilled or, um, in the area of probability. And so they, they did some mathematical equations, and they came to the conclusion that one person just fulfilling only eight of the prophecies about Jesus, they tried to understand what was the probability of a person fulfilling those prophecies and the conclusion was it was the likelihood would be one chance in 10 to the power of 17 that's like i think that's one with 17 zeros thank you thank you for nodding your head appreciate that <laughs> and then the likelihood of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies we're not talking about all 300 is one is one to the power of 157 that's like a lot of zeros that is impossible to happen, but the Bible is reliable, the Bible is true. In Matthew twenty six, fifty-six, Jesus said, But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. In Revelation twenty two, verse six, it says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy, and they are true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And so you are in a good place this morning to be preparing yourself for the prophecies yet to be fulfilled as Jesus comes back. Number five, the Holy Bible is thematically unified. See, again, the Holy Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years in a dozen countries, three continents, 40 different people, three different languages. So how do they all get the same story? For the Quran, Muhammad, there was one author, it's understandable that there's consistency. Well, you know, there's there's one theme there, the writings of Buddha, one writer. But how do we? How are we thematically unified? See, the whole Bible, ultimately, when you zoom out, is all about Jesus. The Old Testament, the Old t- is is. prophesies, he speaks about, it lays the foundation, it's all pointing to Jesus. And the New Testament is one thing, we're all pointing back to Jesus. Jesus is the center, he's what we celebrate, and the whole Bible, it says, we cannot make it on our own, we need God, and he sent provision for us through Jesus, and that's why we can have, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Come on. The Bible is thematically unified, and what Jesus said after his resurrection when he was walking along the road and having a discussion with a few people, they were blinded, um, that they didn't understand that it was Jesus at that moment, but what this would have been one of the best conversations. Oh my goodness, I would love to eavesdrop into this one. Jesus began with these two men to talk to them about the whole Bible, about the whole Old Testament and how the whole law and the prophets related to him specifically. Luke 24, 27, he said... And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Bible is all about Jesus. Number six, the Holy Bible was trusted by Jesus. So if you trust Jesus, then you can trust the Bible. Because Jesus fully trusted in the Bible. See, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 18. He said, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the smallest, not the least stroke of a pen, remember the meticulous way that the Jews will copy, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so just to challenge or encourage us, especially in the culture that we live in, that life's to just, I'll take that, oh, but I'm going to ignore that. I don't like that. That doesn't float my boat, so I'm just going to leave that out. Actually, it's the width and the breadth and the full counsel of Scripture that we need to hold on to. Not just picking out areas that we might believe in or we might like in or might might prefer, but the whole Bible. Chris Hodges said this, if you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, it's yourself. I trust myself to discern what bits of the Bible I'm going to believe and what bits I won't. Um, That elevates us above the Word of God. So the Holy Bible is trusted by Jesus. Number seven, finally, the Bible has survived. Am I getting these numbers right, by the way? Yeah, okay. bit of tension in the room. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you. Does that just make you feel relieved that I recognize that? It would for me. (laughs) What number are we up to? Six. All right. The Holy Bible Bible has survived all attacks. The Bible is the, the most attacked book in the world. The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, deconstructed, outlawed and destroyed book ever, yet it's endured thousands of generations and very smart people tried to destroy it. We said last week that the philosopher Voltaire said within 100 years of the Bible, within 100 years the Bible will be forgotten Um, and that was in the 1800s. But obviously, we say that that is not the case. In fact, the Bible Society purchased his house. <laughs> Everyone's forgotten who he is, but we know the Bible remains. See, 1 Peter says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we know that the Bible is attacked today. And any of us that associate or stand in the Bible uh, also can be attacked as well we we're, we're not looking to be attacked we're not self righteous and we're not we're humble and we're loving and we're generous and gracious and listened and and we're not just trying to be right because you might be right, but you lose the person we value people, but yet we stand firmly immovably on the word of god and I remember about ten years ago when you know right as we're around this huge cultural shift taking place in Australia, where we're essentially moved from a Christian nation, really, to a not really as Christian nation, I made the decision, God, I'm going to stand on your word, even if one day it means I might go to jail. Not trying to be a master or anything, but I just just thought, God, I I never want to compromise your word. Even even if it means me losing something, I am not going to compromise. And so, I just want to encourage you. You are a church that does not rely on the philosophies or the thoughts of Shaphan or Jess or any man, but we stand on the Word of God as our authority for everything in our life, for everything regarding eternity. We stand on the Word of God, the immovable Word of God. Amen. Come on, let's just give God a hand. He's good. He's good. And then number seven, I just want to finish With this, is that the Holy Bible has life changing power. It just works. Yes, thank you. Good, no worries. (laughs) I'll just get out of the picture. (laughs) Love it. The Bible works. We don't just love the Word and learn the Word, but we live the Word, and it proves to be true so if you're here new to church or you've been at church for a long time and and you want to experience God in your life love the word learn the word and then live it if, if you do it it's going to work in your life so many times we get our kids around in fact most mornings ev- almost every morning we have what we call couch time where we've actually got these cards that I've got an illustrator to write pictures on one side and a verse on the back and we sit down to the couch, we read the Bible verse and we discuss it and then we pray in relation to that. And there are so many countless times where God speaks to our kids through the word. He speaks to them. He does miracles and it all begins with the word of God feeding our feeding our faith. And our kids know it works. They're like, yeah, when you pray, it works. God answers our prayers. He's so good. And so what I want to do is just encourage you, no matter where you're at, right, is to go all in. It's to go all in with the Word of God. See, Jeremiah said this, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Now, maybe there's some people here that have gone, yeah, I've given God a go. Well, that's not how it works. It's when you go all in with God, that is the key to knowing God. The Bible didn't say, seek me half-heartedly and you won't, and you'll find me. Because going, I like, oh, it didn't work, it didn't work for me. But well, the reason it didn't work is because you didn't fulfill the condition. All right, God, I, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to seek you with all my heart. Not perfectly. I'm going I'm to seek you, God. And so can I encourage you this morning just to make a decision? God, I want, I want to know God. None of us want religion. None of us want that. The, the lifespan of religion is very short. Oh, my goodness, how boring, how irrelevant and how unhelpful and what a burden it weighs us down. But God invites us, would you know me? Let me take your burdens. Let me change your life. Let me transform your life. This is life-giving. This, this is something that will give you a future and a hope. And so can I encourage you to go all in with God? Can I encourage you to, if you're going to try God, try Him for like a year, okay? All right. I just want to give us a quick list of things that we can do to make it really practical, right? First of all, just, and these aren't going to be in the screen, but you might want to just take notes or remember them miraculously. (laughs) Number one, just, okay, I'm I'm going to abide. I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to self-feed. I'm going to become a self-feeder. With the Word of God, I'll take the devoted plan, 15 minutes a day at least, I'm going to do it. And God will grow your capacity. I'm going to continue to prioritize Sundays. It's, it's, it's it's, It's an active thing that you can do, if you if you go half-hearted with god just be casual about sundays it's all right but if you're like i want to know i want to know god sundays again get into a group god god i'm going all in with you i want to i want to do the three dips on a dip i want to get you i want to be changed on the inside we we also want to invite you like pastor bev mentioned before about joining a team joining a team here helps you get connected in community And you can begin to discover and use the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Such a key part of our faith is serving. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. If you want to know Jesus and follow Jesus, one of the most spiritual things we can do ends in serving. And being like Jesus is one of the most Christ-like things we can do. I want to encourage you to join a team. I want to encourage you to be giving. You know, Jesus said, "Where where your treasure is, there your heart is also if you want to go all in with God, begin what we call the tithe. It's not paying for a service. It's an expression of my trust in God. God, my whole heart belongs to you and not just Sundays, but my bank account, which represents the strength and the width of my life. God, I'm, I'm going to give generously. I'm going to grow in my generosity because I know life is not found in what I have, but in who I know. Why don't you begin to spend time praying, develop a habit of praying and also bringing people to church on Sundays. There are so many of you who are here in this church right now and as I look around the room, I'm just so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here with us. Aren't we church? Come on. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. We're so glad that you're here. Because it's like when you go to the best restaurant and your friend goes there, you're like, how was it? And you just love to talk about it or a TV series or something, and you just love to celebrate. And the pinnacle things we love to celebrate is just Jesus. And we, we love the fact that you're here. your home, your family, and it's our honor just to do this journey with you in this short little life that we have. But you know what? We need to be bringing friends along to church. Thank you to those of you who have been bringing people to church, not just a text and I'm done with it, but bringing people, come, come with me. Like the disciples, Philip said, hey Peter, come, come with me, come with me and see Jesus. Come to church with me. Come and sit with me. Bribery if necessary. <laughs> Apply, let's live it out in our life. Jesus said this, John eight thirty one. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. And then you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you know, if you gonosco is the Greek word. Gonosco is an intimate understanding of God and He will set you, He will set you free. And so what I want to do simply this morning um, is just give us the opportunity to make a decision. This morning, I make a decision. It's a faith step based on evidence. It's in the mind, but dropping it down to the heart. God, I'm going to take your word. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to learn it. And I'm going to live it out in my life. I'm going to make you the final authority for my life. This day forward, I accept your flawless word. i make it your final authority for my life. Even when it's not popular, when it's not easy, even if I don't like it, I bring myself under your word. Not me deciding how I'm going to live my life when I like it, what I'm going to take out of the Bible when I'm... But going, God, you are my Lord and I submit to you. So why don't we all stand up this morning together why don't we just close our eyes in this moment and I really believe this is a significant moment and it's unusual We, we haven't really done a moment like this regarding the Bible usually it's around God but the Bible is his living word. And, you know, Billy Graham actually speaks about, Billy Graham was probably the most famous and fruitful evangelist in modern history since Paul the Apostle. But he compared himself to a friend of his at Bible College and they they were both rising up in ministry. The names had been known, they were effective in ministry, but his friend had questions about the Bible like you and I have had. But then himself and... Billy Graham and his friend came to a point of having to make a faith decision. Based on evidence, am I going to take the Word of God as the authority in my life? Billy Graham chose to, and he became the world's greatest evangelist the world's ever seen since Paul. Um, His friend actually kind of dissolved out, and his impact was minimized. He got into deconstruction and questioning the Bible and things like that. So So I know that this morning is a significant moment for you. To God I draw a line in the sand. I want to put my faith in your word this morning. And so why don't you close your eyes this morning and why don't you just pray with me. As I pray, make this prayer your own prayer. Lift your hands in surrender to God if you like. The reason we say lift your hands so much in church is it's just an outward sign. God, I surrender. The Bible talks all about lifting our hands to God, lifting our hands in surrender and in praise to God. And so why don't you pray with me this morning under the sound of your voice, under your breath. Why don't we pray, God, from this day forward, I will accept the Bible as your flawless word to me. And I make it the final authority for my life, even when I don't understand it, when it's not popular, when it's not easy, and even when I don't like it. God, I thank you that you are God and I'm not. And I thank you for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. I want to, and I choose to love your Word. I choose to learn your Word, and I choose to live your Word. Thank you for listening to the Oceans Church podcast. For more information, visit oceans.church.